0: All right, good morning, everybody. Thanks again for being here. I'm kind of liking this chair setup. I might do this for future reference. This is good. Um, Like the video said, this past Easter, we gave a survey, and we asked you all whatever question you wanted to ask us, give it to us. It could be about anything, culture, uh, didn't matter, and we're going to take the top responses, and we're going to do a sermon series on that, and that's exactly what we've done. If you've missed any of the prior weeks, you can check them out online, but by far... Like probably three to one, the most asked question was around this idea of Islam. What is Islam? Uh, how can we respond to Islam? Is it a peaceful religion? All these different questions around Islam. And I am not Islamic. I am not uh, an expert on that subject at all. And so I called our uh, church planting organization, ARC, and just said, hey, can you recommend to me somebody that could speak intelligently about this because I'm not that guy. And uh, so they connected me with Pastor Broderick in Atlanta. And uh, so we're going to talk about Islam today. And uh, I'd encourage you to take notes. If you have any questions, you can text those questions in. And at the end, we'll try and do a a fast Q&A. Hopefully we'll get a lot of your questions answered on the front end. But before we dive into Islam, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Tell us what's going down in Atlanta. Uh, what's what's up with those Falcons? First of all, they're like going crazy over there. But
1: we'll we'll talk about that okay, in a minute. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, because uh, I'm not originally from Atlanta, yeah. so I am oh, not yeah, a Falcons yeah, yeah. fan. I'm a Yankee, <laughs> so you know I'm a Bills and Giants fan to the to the death of me. You know. Anyway, welcome everybody. My name is Pastor Broderick Santiago. I am fr- I pastor a church in. Uh, a suburb, if you will, of Atlanta called Mableton. It's about 12 miles uh, west of uh downtown Atlanta. And uh, we are also a church plant. We are part of the ARC, the Association of Related Churches. And uh, I'm glad to be here. I am the husband of one beautiful wife. I have to say that because we're going to be talking about Islam. Y'all may have that as a question. I have one wife, <laughs> you know, uh, it's funny, just a sidebar. Somebody, uh you know, Always addresses my wife as first lady, and uh, my wife is like, nah, I'm the only lady, you know, (laughs) who's, you know, there's no first lady, you know. Anyway, so we have four beautiful children, ages 15, 10, uh, 9, and 5. Oh, wow. Yeah, so uh, that's a little bit about me. I moved to Atlanta in 1993. I know some of you are looking like, how old are you? I I am older than I look, but I moved there in 1993 to attend Morehouse College, and uh, so that's that's my story, and I'm sticking to it.
0: Good. Tell us a little bit about the church plant. Uh, how did that all come to be? Uh, I know your arc number is 72, but tell us a little bit. Uh, some of the leaders got that story already, but give everybody a little bit of context to how you became a pastor.
1: Awesome. So uh, obviously, you know, many pastors will say, I never planned on being a pastor. I certainly, certainly nowhere on my list of things. Uh, my, my, my life goals was that on there in the year 2000, uh, I, I uh, former, uh, a friend of mine, a colleague from Morehouse College reached out to me because professionally I'm a musician. Uh, before I started, before I went into ministry full time, I was a musician. Now, I'm not a musician like at night and then IT in the day. No, that's how I paid the bills. Yeah. You understand? So I toured. I've composed for Emmy Award winning movies and Broadway shows. I've played with uh, Grammy Award winning artists uh, and traveled the world. So that's what I did full time. And in 2009, a friend of mine was planning a church in the heart of Mid- uh, Midtown Atlanta, where there's a lot of stuff going on, just a lot of things happening. And that church was called Courageous Church. Uh, I came on first as the worship pastor. And then secondary, I came on uh later on, I was pr- uh, uh, I promoted to assistant pastor. And within two and a half years of uh, that pastor being there, he decided that activism was more his calling and not pastoring and so he just left and so uh, I was ready to do the same thing so I says, man I'm you know I hope y'all find a church my wife and I are going to look for us a church too so deuces and uh, deuces uh, uh, for, for some of my generation, different generation people that means peace uh, and excuse me, y'all, I will tell y'all, I, 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 listen, I just speak from the cuff, you know, yeah. I, just, I just speak to people how I am and who I am. I'm not gonna be all theological, although I did go to seminary. But nonetheless, um he left, that was in 2010, 2011, September 11, 2011, I stepped in, preached my first sermon, and entered into full-time ministry as the interim lead pastor of Courageous Church. Uh, Several years, not several years, but a year later, you know, after moving from uh, an office building to an old movie theater that had a rodent problem to moving to Georgia Tech's campus to then eventually saying, God, listen, okay, you want me to do this. You've got to make it a little bit easier than this. This is crazy. And then we finally decided to shut it all down, completely start all over in 2012 where we are now. We started in elementary school, moved from an elementary school to, to a, a middle school, and then from a middle school to where we are now in a, our own building as of July. So, praise That's the fantastic. Lord.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's called Mosaic Church now, right? Did yes, you say that? it is called Mosaic
1: Church now. And, and the reason we, again, I didn't come up with the name. I'm not that smart. Uh, I can be creative, but I, you know, Mosaic was actually one of our leaders on the team we're trying to think of a name, and uh, I just cast vision. I says, you know, I didn't grow up in church, I didn't grow up in a, in a Christian household, um, and I said, so I want to attract people like me that are looking for a place where they won't be judged, that have different backgrounds and different stories, broken people, people that are broken, you know, and know they need help. Yeah. And uh, and so as I begin to explain that, someone said, man, that sounds like a mosaic. And I says, wow, that's crazy. Because if you think of what a mosaic is, a mosaic is a bunch of pieces from China. Now, we you know China is expensive. But once that China breaks, it loses its value, right? Not when you create a mosaic. You take the broken pieces of something that once had value, you put it together, and you create another piece of art that has a brand-new kind of value. And we firmly believe that that's what God does with us. He takes a bunch of broken people, uh, with different backgrounds, different stories, different you know uh, textures, if you will, and and he takes them all, broken pieces, puts them together, and creates his perfect mosaic. Amen. And that's how we came up with the name. That's so yeah. good. Oh, I like that y'all talk back to me. Y'all gonna make me feel at home. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, uh, so let's let's dive into this subject of Islam. Then, uh, so you grew up in New York. Uh, to tell us, and you said not, not a whole lot of church background. So then, how did? Uh, Islam you even come into your life?
1: Man, uh, I'll tell you, it's, it's, it's an interesting story, and I'll make it as brief as possible because I want to make sure I have time to answer question, other questions that may people may have. I, I discovered Islam in a radical way. Now, when you use that word radical and you put it with Islam, the first thing you think is Taliban, you think ISIS, but not that way. Uh, when I say radical, it, w- it was very life-changing, I didn't grow up in a Christian household. My parents were teenagers when I was born. As a a matter of fact, they never had a relationship. They just had one relation, if you understand what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And out of that relation, uh, here I come. Uh, So I was raised by my grandparents. My nationality is on my father's side, I'm Puerto Rican. My mother, she's from Louisiana. They're African-American. And so my my mother's side, they claim to be Baptist. That's what their claim was. We never in my entire life went to church together, ever. Mm But they were Baptists and they had the Bible and they had the, you know, all of this stuff, but we never, we never prayed together. As a matter of fact, grace was an option. You know what I mean? And so, uh, and, and then my father's side, the Puerto Ricans, when I stayed with them because I lived in different households, well, they were Catholic. And so I went to mass a few times, but I got tired. And, you know, it was too much stand up, kneel, stand yeah. up, kneel and, uh, make a confession. I'm like, I don't even know you. I'm not telling you my business. You yeah. might tell somebody else. So I just wasn't feeling that. I don't know you. And so religion wasn't a big thing. But what I discovered that on Sunday mornings, religion was a big thing to other people. So I was literally waiting till like after two o'clock to hang out with my friends because they were at church. They had to go to church. So in order for me to hang out with them, I had to decide, well, I'll go to church with them. And so I went to church, but I hated church because when I would go to church, I didn't own a suit. And When I went to church, I had two earrings in my ear. That's just who I was. I didn't know that you had to dress a certain way. I didn't know that you had that you couldn't wear earrings. I didn't know that. So I would go to different churches, not the same church, but different churches with different friends, and I always felt judged every time I went in there. Matter of fact, one preacher literally got behind the pulpit and says, "Look at these boys walking around here with earrings, looking like sissies." And uh, and I was like, "Well, let me see. I think I'm the only one. You call me? You don't know me like that. I'm from the projects. Yeah, you know." And so uh and so nonetheless uh I got tired of that. And so I, I just hated church. I hated Christians, man. I hated pastors. They had big Cadillacs and all of this stuff, but there were people in their you know in their congregation that were very poor in the in in the line looking for something to eat. So then probably when I was like fourteen, fifteen years old, I discovered this video, you know, VHS, um, for for the millennials. That's like a box thing that you put in <laughs> We used to have to clean it with alcohol, you remember <laughs> yeah, that? And yeah. dust it off. Alright, anyway, uh, we, we, um I discovered this video called Eyes on the Prize. Now, if you're not familiar with it, there's a book also that accompanies, accompanies it. And that video, it showed, I saw these teenage college, well, these college students, not teenage, but college students and little kids being attacked by German Shepherds in Alabama. I saw people being attacked with, with, with hoses. Water hoses, I mean, you you, you, spraying, you know how much pressure comes out of a water hose? Spraying these people down all because they just wanted civil rights. That made me angry, so I began to hate white people. And then um, I read the autobiography of Malcolm X. You know, and I tell people all the time, you know, people look at Malcolm X from the surface. You've got to understand his book. I think everybody should read the autobiography and understand who he was as a person and why he made decisions he did. He wasn't a hateful man at all, actually. Um, At some point, him and Dr. King got together, and it was at that point when they started meeting too much that he was assassinated. Um, Just check your history on that. But nonetheless, I read the autobiography of Malcolm X, and I was even more angry. I was really angry. And then I read some other things, read about the Black Panther Party, and I just was angry. And so I I naturally transitioned to what they call the Nation of Islam, which is not really— a Muslim organization. They just call themselves that. They read more Bible than they do Quran, I'll be honest with you. If you ever look at Minister Louis Farrakhan, he preaches a lot from the Bible. And the man can preach, I'll be honest, he can preach. He's a really good preacher. But he preaches more from the Bible than he does the Quran. So that was my first entry. And then I went to Harlem, New York, where my dad lived. So summer, my dad lived in Harlem. I'm originally from Buffalo. And so summers I would spend with my dad in Harlem, New York, and I would I be walking down 125th Street, if you're not familiar with that. It's a very, very popular street in Harlem, New York. It's where the, where the uh, uh, Apollo Theater is. The Audubon Ballroom is nearby. It's a very historic street. And these guys would be out there. You'd see anybody walking down 125th Street. You'd see preachers standing up on soapboxes and stuff, preaching, and Jehovah's. Everybody's out there, whatever religion, preaching whatever. And so these guys were in a circle. And they were saying some really interesting things. And I said, wow, that sounds deep, about, you know, that, God, that man, the black man is God. Uh, we, we, are the, the, we run the earth. We are the original people. I mean, this stuff intrigued me at a time when I was already angry at white people. And so I said, by the way, uh, I was so radical. My father, who was married to a white woman whom I loved. I call, that's my mother. That's my mother, period. But initially, I told them face, face to face, I did not agree with their interracial relationship. I was radicalized. I didn't know any better. I was stupid. But when you're hungry and you're searching for something, you don't have a foundation, you believe anything.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that's what happened. And then I became a five percenter. I began to listen to what these guys were saying about all of this rhetoric. And I took it back to my high school. And I recruited several guys, many guys. Matter of fact, we were so uh, deep into it, we, we used to have pamphlets talking about the white man is a devil and we should not mix races and all of this stuff and um, it got to a point where I mean, we were you know, what Ka- Colin Kaepernick what he's doing now, we, were, we started that that's old school, we, that's old business we were doing that, well we didn't start it but others did and we were doing that, when they would do the pledge at pep rallies, we would turn our back, everybody would be wearing black hoodies and black gloves and not and raising a fist and all this stuff, we were doing this stuff and anyway it got scary and so they called literally the FBI on us. They raided our lockers. There were different codes. Like when you go to school in the hood, there's different codes. So they would call a code. Nobody can leave their room because they're doing a drug bus in the school. And they have sniffing dogs. And this code they called that day was different. I said, "Wait, well, that's not a drug bus. What is that? Come to find out. Next thing you know, they're calling me and all of the guys I recruited down to the, 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 the conference room in the library. And then there's people there I don't recognize. And they start asking us questions about what we believed. And, and where, where did we learn this? And who, who taught us these things? And, 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 and I remember the principal looking at me, Mr. Bill Billows was his name. He says, do I look like a devil? You know, he did his little hands like this because I said the white man is the devil. That's what I believed. I didn't know any better. And so I says, yeah, you look like a devil because you're red in the face and you got two horns now because you're doing <laughs> your fingers like that. And this person just began to drill us. And we went to our lockers and discovered all of our books, all of the stuff we were reading they had taken out of it. Um, and, and they classified us as a hate group. And so we were under watch. And so then uh, transition a little bit further. The year 2000, in the year 1993, I moved to Atlanta. And I was uh, still very radical with this 5% Nation stuff. I mean, yeah, and I was standing outside of the cafeteria. And I'm handing out pamphlets on why you shouldn't eat pork. And yo, you shouldn't eat pork and da, 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 da. And this was another way of me recruiting people to 5% Nation. And I saw a Muslim brother by the name of Rahim, and he walked up to me. He says, you're Muslim? And I says, yeah. But I didn't know that I was Muslim. I just, it was by name and identity. And he says, we should get together and pray sometime, man, and and study together. And I was like, yeah, all right, cool. So I went by his dorm room uh, later on that night or later in the week. I don't remember exactly. And uh, he says, man, where do you have your Quran?" And I was like, "Uh, a what? Quran. What is the Quran? And, you know, I didn't know what the Quran was, and that is the the, the the holy book of scripture, if you will, uh, for Muslims. I didn't even have one, so he began to show me in there some wonderful things that enlightened me to Islam, real Islam, not this rhetoric, this cultish uh, stuff that I was involved in. And it and it, I'll, I'll tell you, it's the same thing that happened to Malcolm X when he went to Mecca. He realized that Muslims came in all different colors, shapes, and sizes, and that. The devil is the devil, not a person is the devil, and I began to see that even through the Quran and I embraced everybody and I felt terrible and then uh, I did this thing called Shahada Now Shahada is when you publicly proclaim and, and make your allegiance with Islam and I did that and I became a Muslim that day, a sunni Muslim, and uh, that's how I, I started my journey into islam can you can you talk to us a little bit
0: about what some of the major tenets of Islam are i mean briefly i mean how they're maybe even how they're different than Christianity uh
1: they're they're not as different as you think one thing that's very different i would say now now islam is really the main the, the the meat of islam all this other stuff we see on the media and all of this stuff and is is you know doctrinal differences but the, the 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 core of islam are based upon five pillars which is prayer uh studying in scripture uh giving we know about that right but then there's one separate thing is that uh, you have to make your hajj, which is your pilgrimage to Mecca. We as Christians don't promote that. I think that every Christian, it's, it's actually on my life goal, my wife and I, to go to, to Israel. We want to see where Jesus, I want to, this this Jesus. Mm-hmm. I'm a Christian. I need to see where he, you know, where, where life happened, where this all began for us. We don't have that as a necessity for us. It's not a requirement. It is a, a requirement. It's part of the five pillars of Islam. So it's prayer. That's what it's based on. Uh, giving, which is what we do, uh, studying the scriptures, uh, making that, uh, 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 that hajj, uh, fasting as well. Those are the five. All things that Christians do. Here's what you got to understand. Maybe many of you don't know this. I'm going to hit you to something. I want you to study it. Don't just take it from what I'm saying. Islam was founded by, by, uh, through Christianity. Here's what I mean by that. Historically, Muhammad was in search of this thing called the way but he encountered some heretic Christians. He was looking for Jesus when he discovered and started Islam. He came across some heretics who were not preaching gospel, who were not living it out. And so he says, this is not pure. This is not the thing called the way this is not pure. And so this is where God, where, where, where Islam got the scriptures. All of this stuff was recited to him by the angel Gabriel. Now, if you read your Bible, you'll see that same name. It's the same person. It's not a different person. Okay. Okay. So you got to understand that. So the five pillars of Islam is, are, are very similar to Christianity. It's just that we don't encourage or or make it a mandate that we travel to see where uh, uh, Jesus was.
0: Talk to us a little bit about the difference, uh, because certainly one of the hu- the the biggest differences is the Trinitarian God of the Bible is not Allah, because uh, mainly because it's not tr- Trinitarian. So we certainly serve a different God, and what. I want people to realize, and maybe they, I remember being in college and having an, an Islamic guy come and, and, and say how we, we serve the same God, everybody. I mean, this, there's no, nothing different, and it's not true. Primarily because of Jesus. So can you maybe elaborate that on that a little bit? And-
1: yeah, that's very true. Uh, we, we do. Now, now, here's the thing. Now, before we get too deep in that, there are some Christians that don't acknowledge the Trinity. Yes. So, so we, we can't just put it on Islam. There are people that say, I am Christian. Matter of fact, no offense to anybody. If you look at Catholicism, they do more idol worship than than, than anybody else you know we they worship the virgin mary uh crosses and things like that so let's let's be very careful about that don't just put it on islam sure. but what separates us is true is their disbelief not in just the holy trinity watch this but but in who jesus was and and how you know we are christians because of jesus you know uh his crucifixion and ri- rising again makes us christians okay that's where it all starts uh through his disciples who started uh they, uh, Muslims do acknowledge Jesus as a prophet. As a matter of fact, um They don't say Messiah, but let's look at what the word Messiah means. Messiah is a messenger. They do say, if you read the Quran, it does say that scripture was given, the message of the gospel, message, Messiah, was given to Jesus. They acknowledge that. They acknowledge that Jesus was born of a virgin. They acknowledge acknowledge that he was a righteous man that was sinless. All of these things are in the Quran. Muslims read this all the time. But what, what what separates them is the triune God, the three. What they believe is God is God. Allah is Allah. He had no son. That's what separates them. There was no son. There is Allah. He didn't give anything to other, to a son. Jesus is just one of the prophets. He was different than the others. He was very special, but God is God. That's it. He don't need anybody to do his work. That's the main separate thing. He doesn't need man to do his work. And they look at Jesus as a man. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, talk to us a little bit <clears throat> about the idea, uh, I'm, I don't know that you were a disadvantaged youth. I didn't n- know you then, but certainly in what we're seeing in the world today, these are kind of the people that uh, Islamic ex- extremists are targeting. Are these people who had some sort of maybe economic disadvantage or whatever, and and they're going after them? Is that typical? I mean, is that kind of what you feel like the story of Islam is, or wh-
1: you recruit. What's on with that? You, you, to be a recruiter you're a predator and a predator preys on the weakness right so if I'm a lion I'm a predator and there's a whole bunch of antelope around I'm not going to go for the strongest one the leader of the pack I can't get him he's too fast he's too strong probably got more muscle I'm going to go for the one that's hanging off on the end that's the weak link that's going to be my easiest target now it can be an economic disadvantage. It can be, it's really your, a predator feeds on, on, on that thing that that person is missing or lacking. For a perfect example, I had a great family. Yeah, we grew up uh, in, in the projects, whatever, but I had a, I mean, my family's amazing. You know, we had really good family conversations. Family was important to us. You know, religion wasn't, but family was everything to us, to both sides. And my grandmother could cook like nobody's business. You know, I mean, literally, we fed the projects. You know, my and my my father's adopted mother. She had a a a boarding house, so people would come up there and stay at her house for free. So all those things important. So it wasn't a a social economic issue, as it was targeting what somebody's missing. Okay, Uh, like a a guy can be a predator. You know he's going to go after a girl that's an easy target if that has daddy issues. Am I right about it? Mm-hmm. Um, anyone could be a predator. We talk about sex trafficking, same thing you 're looking for somebody who's got issues, and that 's what recruiters do. They look for issues, not social economic if it's social economic, I promise you money if it's uh, friendship, same thing gangs do right? Oh, your family's no good, so let me hook you up, man. We'll we be your family. We'll provide the Jordans for you. You just got to go sell a little weed and, and, and be a lookout person. It's basically what recruiting is, even with these radical things, I'm looking for your weakness, and I'm going to make a promise to fill that weakness, that void. But what these people need to realize is what most people re- need to realize that all you need is Jesus, and most of us don't realize that Jesus is all we need until he's all we have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Y'all can talk back. I like mm-hmm. a holler back mm-hmm. church now. Mm -hmm. But anyway, you get what I'm saying? And so that's what it is. It had nothing to do with social economics or anything like that. It has to do with people that were lost. I was lost. I was in search of something because watch this. It it started from my anger. Mm -hmm. Okay. It started from me hating. Oh, that's good. Let me feed that fuel. Let me add some more hate logs to the fire of hate that's already going. Okay. Now that's what's happening. Watch this with, 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 with ISIS and stuff. They're, they're, there's pro- if you ever watch their videos and don't spend too much time, they will ding you if you spend too much time watching them. <laughs> yeah. But I've watched them because I want to know what what are these videos saying so that I can tell my kids and other kids, hey, you don't need to – just talking craziness. Don't look at these videos. But I've watched them, and all they're doing is pushing hate on America, and they're using video clips of Americans saying certain things. Right, They're taking clips of, uh, of President Obama, they're taking clips of other elected officials saying these things, and it's like, that's not the whole story. They're just taking a clip of that and making it and creating a story. And then they're feeding into, into, in, into kids and, and these kids who are, are, are having family issues or having economic issues or having whatever issues. They're saying, hey, join us. We should hate Americans. Americans are attacking us. And the thing is, we keep adding that. You know, we're adding to that fire. We're talking about Muslims being bad, and that's not true. That's absolutely not true.
0: Um, We bring up the term radical, and you think of uh, like a radical Christianity. And when I think of a radical Christian, what comes to mind is somebody who would sell everything and go serve the poor, or they're out... Uh, feeding the hungry, or they go plant a church, or something. You know, what I'm saying. Uh, you think of this radical uh, Christianity, and then you compare that with radical Islam, and you think of a radical Islamist, and it's completely a different picture in your mind. of uh, It's it's violence is what it is when you think of a radical Islamist, and then a radical Christian. And so, my question is, uh, if a if a a Christian did this sort of violence. Well, well, it happened in in um, uh, South Carolina where that that white kid went and shot up black people, and he claimed himself to be it wasn't Islamist in nature. It was he, it a Christian in nature. Everybody in the world spoke out against that. This is not Christianity by any means. Why are more moderate Muslims not speaking out, or are we just not hearing it? Maybe that maybe that's the case. I mean, what 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 do you think about that? There are. Okay.
1: Who controls the information? That's where it starts at. Who controls the information? Now, you want to talk about one of the most radical terrorist groups that ever hit American soil? They wear white robes and, and hoodies. Yes. The most radical terrorist group, but they've never been called a terrorist organization, have they? Life and death are in the power of the tongue. I can kill. Watch this. You, you just said something very beautiful and very important. Radical Christian, you see Joy radical Islam, you see terrorists. Why? Who told you that? Who taught you that? You got to think about that. What are you hearing? What What are you allowing to, to, to influence how you view others? And we've got to be careful of that, especially in this season in, in our country. We've got to be very careful of that. Who are we allowing to influence how we view others? You see, if we if we allow just these words to influence it. We don't care who's running for office. We don't care who's blowing up things because here's the thing. We don't care who's doing this because that sin is sin. Bad is bad. There's no way around it. Mm -hmm. Call it radical. Call this group radical. Call that group radical. Bad is bad. That's it. Good is good, whatever the case may be. But this has to be our influencer. Not CNN. Not Fox. Not Facebook. Not Instagram. not, Not your friends. Not your political party. No. This is it. If I ask everybody in here, who's your favorite team? Go ahead. We got to focus on the things we have in common, okay? Us, when I say, I'm talking about Christians because we're divided some, at some point too. What do we have in common? You may, you may like blue. I may like purple, okay? Don't judge me. I do like purple. Okay. You may like saggy jeans. I may like skinny jeans, which I do. Don't judge me again now. I don't like the Falcons, but I love New York. And you may, Whatever the case may be, there are so many things that you and I, just two individuals have apart. But what unites us, Pastor Landon? Our love for Christ, Christ. Amen. right? And that's what we all have to focus on, our love for Christ. Now, if we don't have that in common, right, what do I have in common with my Muslim brother or Muslim sister? Love. Okay, I love Jesus. You know Jesus. You love him as one of the prophets, but you don't love him the way I love him as a Christian, but you love him. So let's just take it one bite size at a time and let's unite, be united on love. And and I'll tell you something. In my community, we do a lot of outreach. We have an organization that me and a Muslim brother, his name is Mohammed Sanko, started. And it's an interfaith outreach that we do where we have Christians, Muslims, Jewish people, and Catholics, and, and anyone else who wants to join us. Why? For the betterment of the community. Because God didn't call us to plant a church in that community. He calls us to build that community through our church. Okay? And that's what we firmly believe. But it, need, it requires all of us coming together and be united on what do we have in common? Love. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I want him to be a Christian. end of the day, he wants me to be a Muslim again. But this, the truth of the matter is, let's be united on love. And I think we can work out the other stuff uh, when, when God sees fit. Because he's the one that does transformation, not us. Amen. I'll talk about Jesus all day. Anyway, I'll go on and on about it. <laughs>
0: what you said kind of what steered you this way was anger and what we see a lot with these people that end up traveling to the Middle East and whatever is anger. So I don't know what season of life everybody here is in, but if somebody is struggling with this idea of anger and hating um, and in search of something, maybe they came here in search of something. What would you say to, to somebody like that, that maybe was walking the same path that you were walking in?
1: Oh man. Um, isolation is the devil's playground i'm gonna tell you that right now and uh being isolated man the devil just played with me he had a field day with me he allowed me to continue to to build up more hate uh in my heart so if there's somebody in this room right now that's that finds himself isolated you need some friends but you don't need any friends you need the right friends um, and, and 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 you've got to be praying about that. I don't know if, if that person would be a Christian in here because I wasn't a Christian when I was angry. Uh, matter of fact, I hated church. Remember I said that. But you've got to find something positive, something good. There's goodness in the world. Um, uh, Doctor King said it this way: Hate cannot cannot kill hate. He chooses to love because only love can do that. Right? We, if if that's you, you got all this hate and anger in you, right? You've got to, to search for positivity. There's so much goodness in this world. I just wish somebody said that. Watch this. Had somebody just pause, whether they were a Christian or not, and just said, "You mean you mean something, man? You you you're, you're gonna be a world changer, man. You're special, man. You're you, you're too intelligent to believe in this crazy stuff. If people just said some good things, if my parents had just affirmed me, you know, just words of affirmation is enough." That's what I'm going to tell somebody in this room if they're that way. You're filled with anger. You're filled with frustration. You're filled with all this fuel. Listen, words of affirmation, you know, just, just don't worry about it. I mean, all of us are angry uh, to some degree. We're angry when our, tu- our team loses, right? When they throw a bad pass or the coach makes a bad decision. you mad. You want to kick the TV, right? Uh, we get angry when our kids don't do what we ask them to do. You know, our wives get upset when we leave the toilet seat up. Amen, somebody. <laughs> <laughs> My wife at home right now can't blame me. I'm not there. <laughs> yeah. Blame my sons. But, you know, we were always angry. But just in that split second, you can change your anger to joy just focusing on the goodness, the good things in life. Right? You know, the, the commonalities in life. You know, we're angry about this this political season that we're in. We don't need to be that way. I, it breaks my heart to see this country. What is What are we called? The United States of America. We, don't, we, don't, we haven't earned that right now. We're so divided across silliness. Honestly, it's silliness. At the end of the day, we should not be fighting. If we are Christians, right, I don't care who's sitting in office. My God is the founder. Listen, God said this. I'm here to the ends of the earth. That person in office is there a maximum of eight years. That's it. Bye-bye. Jesus is still here. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Coming in from the audience, how did your conversion to Christianity then happen?
1: Great question. Um, so here's what happened. Um, as I said, I was a musician. I did uh, take some time away from college, and uh, I went on tour. I went back home, went on tour, was gone. We did, I uh, was with a band, a top 40s band that toured the USO. We did different shows at uh, different uh, bases, military bases. And once that ended, I came back, I didn't have a plan. I, I'm like, man, I thought I was gonna do this. I was gonna make a whole lot of money. I was only making maybe 650 Uh, a week. And I was like, I'm rich. (laughs) You know, when you're 18, 19 years old, doing something you love and making that kind of money, you do feel rich. So I came back, I didn't have a plan. And so I, I I worked retail. I didn't go back to college immediately. I worked retail, uh, became a manager at a a retail store. I began to sell uh, marijuana out of there. And so I was making good money in my eyes. I was making the little, you know, hourly wage they were giving me, but then I was making pretty good money selling marijuana and uh, had a, a penthouse loft in Buffalo, New York. Uh, had a paid fork, all-cash BMW. And uh, pardon me, kids, but I'll be transparent. I, w- I, I could send as much as I want. Adults, you understand what I'm talking about, with whoever I want, as much as I want. And woke up in the middle of the night one night, and there was uh, somebody I didn't really want laying there next to me. And I said, is this, the, this, is this all that life has to offer? Is this the best that it gets? I got more money than I can count under my bed, pay for luxury car, penthouse loft, whoever I want to hang out with, I can, do whatever I want, I can do, but I'm not happy. So I I called my sister, I says, hey, come get the keys, I'm gonna go back down to Atlanta and hang out with my mother. At this point, my mother had moved to Atlanta, she moved in 94 to Atlanta from New York. And I was there, I told my mother I was coming for a week, a week turned into two weeks, two weeks turned into a month, and eventually my mother's like, what happened to your job? And then I was just like, yeah, I quit. And she, I was depressed. I was sinking deeper into this abyss of depression. And somebody uh, at my mother's work, she's a nurse, they said, hey, she's telling them about my story and what was going on. I wasn't shaving. I barely was showering. I mean, I was just a mess. I was just a mess. For no reason. I just was not happy. So invited, am uninvited. This is, my mother's name is Yvonne. It says, Yvonne, will your son come to church? And my mother says, I don't know, last time we talked about religion, he was on that Asalamu Alaikum stuff.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and so uh, she asked me, she says, uh, Would you come to church with me this Sunday? Now, I did say I didn't grow up in a Christian household. We had never gone to church together. So that stuck out that my mom, You want to go to you, me and you church? Yeah, why not? Why do I got to lose? Let me go up in here, be judged again, look at all the hypocrites. Sure, I'll go to church. Why not? Yeah, let's do this thing. And I went in, and I told her, I said, I don't have no suit. I'm not dressing up. I'm going as I am. I mean, I was very, whatever, I'm just going to go, ready for them to judge me. And I went, and it was probably the largest church I had gone to in my life at the time. It was about five, 6,000 people there. And I went in, and uh, I'm a musician. God knows how to get my attention. The band was killing it. I mean, they were jamming. I was like, oh, man, they're killing it. I mean, they were going in, and I was like, yes. And then the next thing you know, I hear this 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 Prince lick, you know, like on the guitar. They're just going in. They were doing the song Let It Rain, you know, and there's a part on Let It Rain where uh, it's a gospel song where the guitar is just going in. And literally, I hear this guitar, and I'm like, I don't see that guy doing it. Where's that guitar song coming from? And I look, it's in the, and this is an AME church, an African Methodist Episcopal church, so they wear robes. And the pastor is just nailing it. He's like. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, yeah, this is good. So God got my attention. I'm sitting at the edge of my seat like the band is good. The pastor is cool. He's in a robe killing it. He was an older gentleman. And I mean, he was, it was really great. So God got my attention there. And then he preached. And he was talking about purpose this day. I'll never forget. And uh, somebody, he says, somebody in here, and you know, he's getting toward the closing. Somebody in here is is just lost. They, they feel empty. They they're sad and depressed and don't know why. And he says, God is calling you. He's and he's still talking. And all of a sudden, he said, Broderick. And I looked at my mother. I says, Did you tell this this guy my name? And She's like, What? I said, He just said my name. And She's like, Okay, mm-hmm, something's wrong with him. <laughs> so I said, Now I'm listening. Him says. I'm almost certain I heard my name. Well, maybe I didn't. Maybe he said something different because he had a strong Trinidadian accent. So then I'm listening. He says, Broderick. Again, I says, Mom, he just said Broderick. I promise you. The lady next to me says, don't fight it. Just go with it. She says, just, you know, don't fight it. Go with it. You know, that's the Holy Spirit. And I was like, it's crazy. No spirits messing with me. The man said Broderick. I know my name when I hear my name. I've been called Broderick my whole life. And I'm looking at my mother, and my mother's like, so all of a sudden, I can hear her praying, and I hear the lady next to me praying. And I'm listening. Now I'm paying attention because I want to show my mother that I'm not crazy, that this guy is saying Broderick. So now I'm like, watch, watch, mom, watch. Broderick, did you see it? She said, he didn't say anything. I said, he said Broderick. Three times I heard Broderick. And I've gone to church several times. And when they did the altar call, I never, ever felt like I wanted to go up there. But this one time they did an altar call, man, it took everything in me. I was fighting so hard not to go up there, Pastor And I was just like, oh, man, I just, it was overwhelming to get up there. I had to get up there, but I, I was fighting it. I was like, I'm not going up there. I'm not going up there. I'm not going up there. And before you know it, I'm up there, and I'm just crying uncontrolled. I'm crying uncontrollably because it wasn't the pastor calling me. It was Jesus. And I get up there, and, and he gives me the mic, and I just told him, I said, I'm, I'm lost. I've, I've tried this. I've tried Islam. I've tried voodoo. I've tried spiritual worship. I says, uh, I'm lost. I've had more women than I can count. Thank God I don't have any disease. And I said, I'm tired. I'm just tired of this life that I'm living I want to be. I want to be saved. And so, and it's like, like I said, five, six thousand people there, and they take me in the back, and that's how I became a Christian. I mean, there's no magic to it, except that that's what happened in that moment. I was lost. I needed purpose, and God literally said my name three times, and I went. Amen. Amen. Sorry, y'all. I get emotional. emotional.
0: I, I'd say we should close on that because that's very amazing. But uh, we got a couple other questions if you're okay with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is a two-part question. Do followers of Islam believe Christians will go to heaven? And should Christians believe followers of Islam will go to heaven?
1: <laughs> I love that question. That's a very, a very common question. Can I just answer it this way? Okay. It's not – now, let me give my disclaimer. I'm not an expert on all things Islam. Neither am I an expert on all things Christianity. So I always answer that question this way. I think that at the end of the day, we'll all be surprised who's in heaven and who's not. We as Christians believe, and, and, it's, and it's because of what we read, it, 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 and it says that. You know, we have to confess. We have to be followers of Jesus uh, to make it up there. So when, we, when, I, when I read that, I say, oh, my gosh, Adolf Hitler was a professed Christian. You mean to tell me he's in heaven? That's a hard pill to swallow. This man killed a lot of people. Uh, the leader of the Ku Klux Klan who did this terrorist act in the name of Christianity. You mean to tell me they're going to be in heaven? These were Christians. So I believe, here's what I'm going to say, and this is Broderick, it's not scripture, so don't, don't, please don't say I'm preaching heresy. This is Broderick. This is what I believe. I believe that at the end of the day we'll be surprised who makes it up there and who doesn't. I don't know. I know that at the end of the day, Muslims, of course, they believe what they believe. And, of course, we as Christians, we believe we believe. And Jehovah's Witnesses believe what they believe. And Buddhists believe what they believe. We don't, I don't have a direct answer for that. Why? Because none of us have actually made it there. What we say and believe is based upon what we read in our Bible. And we believe our Bible from, from, from the index to the maps, right? I mean, we, we believe that. And, and I believe that. But I think that at the end of the day, I'll be surprised. And and it's crazy to think that somebody like Mahatma Gandhi, who never professed Christ, he won't be there, based upon what I read and believe. Or, or Mother Teresa. You mean tell me she won't be in heaven? Are you serious? You know, there are certain people that you like. This person will be there, and they won't, based upon just doctrinal stuff. And so, my answer to that question is: I think we'll be surprised. I don't know. I've never been to heaven. And neither have any of us, and neither have anybody else who said that all we know is what we believe and read in our Bible.
0: Fortunately, we're not on that committee, right? Amen.
1: <laughs> I don't have to save people, and I don't have to tell you who's going to be in heaven. I just have to share the gospel. That's all he said to do, and that's what I'm going to do.
0: Amen. Are extremists more true to the Quran than non-extremists?
1: No. Extremists. Um, if we think about extremists, uh, the word that comes up is jihad. And jihad is not mentioned in the Quran. It's not. A, it's not. A, it's not something that's scriptural. It's. It's based upon uh, um, the beliefs of individuals. It's an individual teaching. Jihad. If you If you understand what jihad really means, it's, It means an internal struggle. That's what it really means. It translates into an internal struggle. That's really what it is. It's a war within, is what it is. But man, different imams and different uh, 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 leaders of different sects of Islam have added their own thoughts to it. In the same way that leaders of the Ku Klux Klan use Christianity uh, 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 as their way of, of of. you know, terrorizing these people or slave owners using the Bible to keep people enslaved. Mm-hmm. And and we know that when they talk about slavery in the Bible is totally not anything like what happened here in America. Right. They never went to another land, stole people for no reason. If you were a slave, it was out of uh, uh, you were the casualty of a war. OK. And so but we know that we can spin any of this scripture, any of the, this doctrine the way we want to man does. And if it sounds good to us, we believe it. We eat it like it's the truth. Like like what they say, everything, if it's on Facebook, it's the truth, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing, right, in, 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 in our world. Like if he said it, he's a person of influence, why would he lie? And it's not that that person would lie. It's because they've taken their own. This is how denominations were started, mm-hmm. right? And so that's the same same thing I would say about that. So extremists, no, it's, it's, it's not jihad. It's not even in, in, in the Quran. There's no talk of jihad in the Quran, but jihad is talked about in in Islam and it's and it's really a focus on an internal war not an external
0: well I just want to say thank you very much for even taking the time uh, out of leaving your wife and kids and coming all the way from Atlanta to be a part of our conversation today uh, you'll definitely be with us eating fried chicken so if anybody has more questions about that uh, they can interrupt you there I suppose
1: Yes, and thank you uh, for, for having me come. Uh, I will go back and say these few things about Wichita, especially New Anthem. Y'all know how to worship. The band was amazing, awesome. Uh, everybody was very welcoming. And uh, y'all know how to, y'all really do have good barbecue here. Right. I really, that brisket, I went three times to the, I never went to a barbecue buffet. Three times for the brisket, Lord.
0: Amen. I Amen. Yes.
1: Appreciate it. Come on, y'all know how to do it here thank you for having me Uh,
0: the last last thing i'll say and then if if you don't mind you can close us in prayer um what would you say to anybody uh here today uh just closing thoughts before we before we jet out of here
1: i I have a closing thought and i want to say this especially where we are in our country today uh we have to be reminded of this one thing this is so important um Dr. King said this. He says, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. And, 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 and an enemy is not just someone who opposes you. In our mind's eyes, sometimes an enemy is someone who doesn't believe what we believe. But love is the only thing. Love, love is the only thing that can turn your enemy into a friend. And I'll say this. If we read all the way through the book of Revelation, here's the best part. Watch this. Love wins. Mm-hmm. Love wins. And that's all that matters. So let's endeavor to love each other through our political beliefs, our our cultural, racial uh, beliefs, uh, through our even our religious beliefs. It's all about love. People don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm-hmm. And they know how much you care through how you love them. Absolutely. All right. May I pray? Absolutely. Oh, God, we thank you so much for this day that you have made. I, God, I thank you for... The attention of your audience today, uh, God. I pray that that we represented you well with your truth, and God that we shared uh, what is most important to you, which is love. God, I pray that today that these words that we shared, I pray that they bypass the ish, the the, lear, the ears of the listener and rest on their heart. I pray that somebody who may have had questions, God, that their their questions were answered, God, and that they were able to see the truth uh, which comes from you. God, I pray that in these times of great divisiveness, these times of great separation, God, that you be the one thing that unites us because we're all united on our belief in you and our love for you. You've called us all to be your hands and feet. Let that be what's most important for all of us above and beyond anything else we believe. God, I thank you for my time here. I pray that you be the wings on the plane that gets me home. Mm-hmm. I pray that you are the pilot, God, that guides that, that plane. Mm-hmm. And get me safely back with my family, Lord, so that we may come together and continue to do the work that you have called us to do in the great city of Mableton, Georgia. Oh, God, I thank you for this pastor and their ministry. I thank you for the leadership team, God. I pray for New Anthem Church, God, that this is indeed a season of tremendous growth and impact in this community. And let the impact that they have in this community overflow into the city and then overflow into the region to eventually impact this nation. God, I thank you so much for the vision and heart of Pastor Landon and his family. In Jesus' name, we pray. All those agreed would say amen. 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 Thank you.
0: Yep. Yeah, go, go ahead and give him a hand. So just a reminder, Hat McLean Park, I think I got like 600 pieces of fried chicken ordered, so there should be plenty, oh. <laughs> plenty for everybody. We got corn dogs, we got a fryer out there, so if you want to bring anything to fry, you need to go grab yourself some fish or something like that, feel free, but we're at the community building at Hat McLean Park, go ahead and head there now and we'll see you in a little bit. You. See you next week.